that you are good and that you're good all the time. Holy Spirit, have your way in this service. Move up and down every aisle, in and out every row. Touch the hearts and lives of your people. Write a prescription designed for each individual whereby they may leave here changed, furthering the gospel, increasing in the faith, Father, and walking more boldly in who you are in them and who they are in you. When it's all said and done, Father, not that I get the glory, but you alone get the glory. For you are the equipper of those that seem to be equipped. We thank you and give you glory, honor, and praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen, and so be it. Give a high five to a neighbor. Cue the video. Lend your eyes to the screens.
2019. Now, I thank God for my husband. He pretty much gave me free reign. Do what's in your heart, baby. This church wrote checks to give over 700 women an experience they wouldn't have otherwise had. Over 80 volunteers served some three days straight. There were weeks and months of preparation. There was time and energy consumed in preparation, creativity, resources, time, and energy. All so that this church can present something to a community of women whereby they will be inspired, impacted, motivated to move further in the things of God. Wouldn't it have been ashamed if no one showed up? Wouldn't it have been ashamed if everyone left here like, eh, Counselors, cooks, drivers, staff, volunteers, resources spent so that well over 40 women who responded to the altar call for prayer and deliverance who had their lives changed the number of testimonies of what they learned and how they increased the volume of books sold so that people can grow in their thinking and increase in their understanding of the things of God and how they function it would have been a shame if nothing changed but that's sometimes I wonder how God sees us from the throne Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter two, chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We had a great time. Don't get me wrong. It was wonderful. And now it's just a synopsis of all that we experienced. But a whole lot of power, a whole lot of energy, a whole lot of love, a whole lot of commitment, a whole lot of resources was dedicated just for that. Not so that you can have a good time, but so that you can be all of God's best. That's what Empower was about. Today's title, though, is Being Empowered. Being Empowered, what does that mean? To be empowered is to give power or authority to, to authorize, especially by legal or official means, to enable or permit. In other words, it is to take what I have and give it to somebody else so that they can act in the same authority and ability that I did, if not more. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 in the Amplified, it says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice or fear, but he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of sound judgment and personal discipline, abilities that result in a calm, well-balanced mind and self-control. Believe it or not, folks, God has done everything pertaining to your faith, and your faith in you is limitless. 
It's limitless. Your faith can achieve a whole lot more than what he said. He said beyond what you could think or imagine. But believe it or not, the New Testament isn't written to your faith. It's to feed your faith, but he doesn't address your faith in the New Testament. It's to feed your faith, yes, but that's not what he's addressing. Throughout the entire New Testament, the reason why it's been preserved is to deal with you in your thinking. It's to deal with you in your thinking. Every time he says do, every time he says seek, every time he says obey, every time he says give, every time he says love, every time he says serve, he's telling, telling you, you have a decision, but I want you to, do, to make this decision. Because in this decision, I am. And where I am, there is unlimited victory. Where I am, there's unlimited faith. Where I am, there's unlimited resources. Where I am, there's unlimited healing. And where I am, there is victory. So you see... We've made, and and it's good because it is a spiritual experience because we are spirit beings. But the preservation of the word of God was so that we can have knowledge whereby we can make decisions that will glorify him. So when he says that I have not given you the spirit, the pneuma, the breathed-in ability of fear, I did not give you cowardice. I did not give you timidity. I did not give you being uh, moved by what you see. I did not give you doubt. I did not give you the consuming uh, uh, awareness of people. But I gave you the spirit, the existence, the pneuma, the breathed-in ability, the innate programming of humanity, of power, balanced by love on the scale of a sound mind. Take that in for a moment. Divine gifts. He has given us the spirit. Understand, the spirit. When he's given us a spirit, it's our existence. It's not a one-time deal. He's given us the spirit, the existence, the behavior, the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 way, the, the, the desire to operate in power and love and a sound mind. Now, in this book, Timothy, this is the second letter that Paul writes to this young man, and he writes this letter to encourage him. Actually, he's writing this letter to check him, to check him. Like, dude, wait a minute, hold up. So let's let's go back a little bit, and let's learn about who this dude named Timothy is. Who is Timothy? 2 Timothy chapter 1. Starting in verse 2, my beloved son, I pray for a greater release of God's grace, love, and total well-being to flow into your life from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, let's skip down. So that's verse 2, and let's skip down. I'm writing to encourage you in verse 6 to fan into the flame. I'm reading from the translation, uh, from the Passion Trans. Mm, I don't want the Passion Translation, though. I want the King James Translation. Sorry, media team. So start at verse 6. No, verse 4. Greatly desiring to see in thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and then your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded in thee also. 
Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God that is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He says in verse 8, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. So what are the afflictions of the gospel? The afflictions of the gospel were the naysayers, the teasers, the ones that threatened to put him in jail, the ones that threatened to persecute him because he was letting, them, letting it be known that Jesus is Lord. So Timothy is now this new young cat called to pastor in Ephesus. Ephesus is a huge city at the time. It's the city known for the banking industry. It is full of wealthy people, it is very progressive, and it is full of strong-willed, accomplished individuals. And he's called as a young man to pastor this. People that think they know more, people that think they've done more, people that think they're closer to God. And he's called to pastor this group of people. And he's young. He's followed Paul. He's been trained. He's well equipped. In fact, Paul says, I recognize an unfeigned faith in you. That word unfeigned means sincere and genuine faith. Why did Paul say it was unfeigned faith versus bold faith? Or unfeigned faith versus great faith? Because in this letter, Paul addresses and points the finger at Timothy saying, you too caught up with, uh, with what other people think and not in what call God called you to do. So he says, now stir up the gift that is within you. Stirring up the gift, that term stir up, is synonymous to a, a, a fire. And how many of you ever been, had a fireplace? A natural wood-burning fireplace or grew up with one. And you know, when you put the wood in there, after a while that fire dies down. But what do you have to do after a while? You have to take that poker, you have to stick that poker in there and, and move it and stir it around a little bit so that when the embers go up, the embers land on unburned areas and then the fire what? Rekindles. So the same thing that Paul is telling Timothy, hey, it's almost reminiscent of Jeremiah when he said, the word of God is like a fire shut up in my bones. I cannot not speak it. I cannot not preach it. I cannot not make it known because if I do, it'll consume me from the inside out. Well, Paul says, you need to get that type of fire going in you, Timothy. So who is Timothy? Because when we look back and we learn a little bit about Timothy, he references Timothy as being the product of a somewhat of a dysfunctional household. Number one, obviously he was multiracial. Me. One parent believed, the other parent didn't. Me. Grandma and mama prayed him through. Kind of me. called and recognized his gifting at a young age. That ain't me, but it's some of you. <laughs> Started out passionate about the things of God. Me. After a while, I got caught up with what other people think, saw, and, and said about him. Me. Only for a spiritual father to come and say, dude, wake up. Wake up. That's not how God made you. 
He didn't give you a spirit of fear. He didn't give you a spirit of timidity. He didn't give you a spirit of cowardice. But instead, he gave you a spirit full of courage, full of virtue, full of truth, full of power, full of love. And with it, to control it, a sound mind. Self-control. Discipline. So do check yourself before you wreck yourself. That's who Timothy was. But yet God called him. God used him. And he didn't use him on no small stage. He used him on a huge stage. And I believe God probably did that just so that Timothy, in his youth, he had just enough ignorance to move forward, just enough knowledge to know a little something, and just enough faith to believe God so that God can manifest himself in great ways that was beyond Timothy's ability. Paul saw that, but obviously Timothy didn't see that, but Paul's reminding him of that. So now, those three things Paul specifically says, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. And that word us right there is time transitory. In other words, it goes beyond this one situation. Because he said, he's writing to Timothy, right? He could have said, God has given you, not given you, God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound. He didn't say you. I think on purpose, the Holy Spirit had him pin us. Say, because us is me. And me is in the us. Yeah, it's bad English, but that's all right. You, you get it. And so now, here we go. We've been given some divine gifts. Right here, we've been given a lot of gifts. Pastor Greg will talk later about spiritual gifts. We've been given uh, a whole lot of different gifts and assignments and callings. But here we've been giving, we are given divine gifts. Which means with divine gifts, we have responsibilities. So what are some of the responsibilities of the divine gifts? Number one, the divine gifts, what are they? The divine gifts are a moral equipment for the highest service. What are divine gifts? They are the moral equipment for highest service. So when we talk about, A, the spirit of fearlessness, the spirit of power, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. Not a spirit of cowardice, but of courage. And that word power is the word dunamis. We heard that word a lot throughout scripture. Jesus walked in the dunamis kind of power. The disciples walked in a dunamis kind of power. What? Now he's saying young Timothy has the dunamis kind of power. And he says you have the dunamis kind of power. Yeah, you Krista. Yeah, you TC. Yeah, you Felicia. Yes, you Tanya. Yes, you whatever your name is, he has given you a dunamis type of power. Do you know in the Bible that's the highest type of power you could have outside of God, within God? Dunamis type of power. This means force. This means miraculous power. This means ability and abundance, meaning and might. It even means power, strength, violence, and a mighty work. You are somebody's miracle. Did you know that? You are somebody's miracle. Best yet, listen, somebody was your miracle. When I think of that family that came up here and they received a miracle. And there were hundreds of you that were participants in that miracle that saved a family of six, made their lives better. 
community. Community. Because you can't be somebody else's miracle unless you are in community. So this here power is the courage that enables us to confront and vanquish the enmity and the reproach of the world. This power that we have is subscribed so that we can confront and vanquish the enmity and reproach of the world. Do you know that you are not supposed to just be a conformist? In fact, sometimes you're there to wave up the waters. Sometimes you're there to put a little bit of sugar in the gas tank. Not literally. Not literally. But sometimes you're there to remind somebody that you can't do everything in your own power. So God, as Christians, he elevated you. You saw those ladies hanging from those aerial acrobats. It was on purpose because that's how God sees us. He sees us as suspended a little higher than the Gentile because he lifts us up when we have his word and his light shining in and through us. He doesn't hide us under a bush. He doesn't mean for you to be ashamed of the gospel, but he means for you to be very loud and bright about it, and he lifts you up when you do it so that other people can see. So it's a metaphoric representation of how God sees you, suspended, elevated. So now, back to these divine the responsibility of these divine gifts is another uh, responsibility is to bear up under religious trials. You know, I don't like it when, the pe when Christians attack the church. Talk about her if you will, but at the end of the day, that's who Jesus is coming back for. The church. Revelations, he keeps talking about he's coming back to for the church. His bride is the church. He doesn't say Christian. He says the ecclesia, the called out ones, the ones that aren't afraid to gather together and sharpen themselves in the power of love. So they can talk about the church if they want to. She might be a little blemished. She might be a little messy. She might be a little rude. But at the end of the day, that's why Jesus came, so he could continuously wash her with the water of his word because he's coming back for her. And when he comes back for her, she will be unblemished. She will be unmarked. And she will be unmarred for his glory. Not because of what we do, but because of what he did. But when he talks about here, to bear up under religious trials, that's, when we, that's what we do. People do that. I love that. Felicia, I keep wanting to call her Dayer Loran. Felicia was up here saying she'd been delivered from legalism, from checklist uh, Christianity. Because that's the deliverance that many a people need, and that's what he's talking about, religious trials. Now, mind you, in that day, religious trials included those that worshiped Greek gods, Orthodox Jews that were stuck in their laws. But here, we get enough of that just dealing with other Christians. Pastor Gregory taught some time ago that they will know us by the love that we have one for another. So it does me no justice to sit up here and talk about all the bad things going on with my sister and my brother. Yes, yeah, some of the things you're just you're perplexed, like what the world, how do we do that? But it also, I talk about it because it just reminds me 
Say, yes, Father, you set me in the earth to comfort the, the feeble-minded. You set me on the earth to be a light. You told me to walk in the fruit of the Spirit, which includes long-suffering. But somebody needs to long-suffer for me sometime. Joe Gregory, oh, he has to long-suffer for me. I thank God for it, because I'm a trip sometimes. He is too, don't look at me like that. And this here spirit of power is also a divinely inspired courage. A divinely inspired courage. That courage you need to speak up when you know it's wrong. That courage to say, no corporation, I'm not doing it that way and cutting the corners. No corporation, I'm not going to lie to get to the bottom line and meet the margins. No, uh, 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 the dating, uh, the person that I'm dating, I'm not about to s send you or fall for your photoshopped image. But it's a divinely inspired type of courage that says, no, I'm not sleeping with you before I get married. Yes, I do honor the sanctity of marriage. Yes, I do love Jesus. His name is Jesus. Not God is dope, but Jesus. That divinely inspired courage. Then he's given us the spirit of love, B, the spirit of love. Agape is what that word is. In other words, the God kind of love, that affection or that benevolence, specifically a plural, love feast. In other words, an abundance of it. Do you know humanity cannot flourish without love? One of our basic needs is to love and be loved. Our basic fundamental needs. Siri's trying to talk back to me. I ain't talking to you. It's to love and be loved. So in this love is a necessary counterpose of the spirit of power which prevents it from being from, from degenerating into bravado and presumptuous daring. In other words, there's a spirit of power and the spirit of love. See, we can be abusive in the spirit of power. We could be taken advantage of in the spirit of love. So the two are counterposed, juxtaposed to one another. So that when we are operating in the spirit of power, love comes up under it. And we're now overloading and forbearing on one another. But when we're operating in love, then the spirit of power with it, we're bold, we're savage in our love. We're relentless in our love. But see, the thing that balances it all is the sound mind. See, along with this spirit of love is... This love is universal. It's not my people, your people, my four no more. It's not black people, yellow people, green people, white people, purple people, red people, brown people. And then this love is inexhaustible. Did you know and realize that no one can exhaust the love that's in you if, you, if you're connected to Christ? I know they get on your nerves sometimes. That's called patience, not love. I know that they probably stink. You know, if you got teenage boys sometimes. That's called telling the truth and discipline, but not love. You have an ability, an inexhaustible amount, quantity of love that's in you that you can continuously give. But see, when we fall into that spirit of fear, now we're that dad that makes the whole house seem just upheaved. Now we're that woman that's just constantly nagging, drip, 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 drip. Nag, nag, nag. You need to do this. You need to do that. What about this? And what about that? And where are we going? 
because of fear. But when we understand power and love, and the middle of it is the sound mind to know the balance between the two, now you're working in a very fine, very divine authority and character of who God is. See, C, the spirit of the sound mind, the spirit of self-discipline and the spirit of self-government. It literally means in the Greek, I tried to say it first service, I'm not about to say it now because I tore it up first service, but it literally means in the Greek, discipline, self-control. And what it is, is it has a, the responsibility of it is to have a keen perception and sober discrimination of the truth. You can Bible beat somebody. Did you know that? You can Bible beat somebody. See, 1 Peter chapter 3 wouldn't exist unless that was true. See, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 says, Why submit yourselves to your own husbands so that he, if, if they may be not be one with the word, you without the word can win him by the conversations of your lifestyle. In other words, you can win your husband without speaking a thing about the quote, a scripture. Just be the scripture. Because Proverbs 31 says that she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Ephesians says that we submit one to another. Don't be that man that's asking some, a woman, well, do you have a problem with submitting? Don't do that. Because you just told on yourself that you do. Oh, I'm messing with your business, isn't I? Okay, aren't I? Love has a keen ability to, I mean, self-control or sound mind is a love of the truth. It's also a love of the acquisition of the truth. And it's also the right use of the truth. It's the cheese to the macaroni. It's the safety valve to the steam engine. It's the beam to the balance. It's the rudder to the ship. The sound mind is to the Christian character. Balance. Not being caught up in the letter of the law, but understanding the spirit of the law. And the spirit of the law is always love and never fear, hence power. Now, number two, in these divine gifts and understanding them, the divine gifts also involves the responsibility for their use. See, God bestows gifts not for display or adornment, but for use. Gifts unused will rust. Gifts unused will rust. And let's, not, let's, let's, let's make sure we quantify this because the gift may also include what you are specifically gifted in. All of us are stronger in other areas than the other. Some might be very strong in, the, in, in, in service. Someone might be very strong in giving. Someone might be very strong in administration. Some might be very strong in compassion and, and counsel. They're gifts. So therefore, we have power in those gifts. And when we don't walk in those gifts, well, no matter what it is, they will rust. And the only reason why they, when they do rust, the rust looks like fear. It looks like faithlessness. It is only as they were exercised that they, it's only as, as they are exercised that they shine and illuminate ourselves and others. No man knows what he can do until he tries. No man knows what he can do until he tries. So sometimes you got to get out of that uh, yesterday thinking of our family don't do that. You'd be amazed. My mother grew up on the Yellow Sea in Korea. She grew up on the ocean. Like literally, she told me that her, her house, her, their, uh, their land was within walking distance of the ocean. 
When I went there and saw my grandmother's house, literally it is go down half of a mountain, but it's right there at the foot. But my mother couldn't swim. My dad didn't learn how to swim until he went to the Air Force, but it was barely, so that just so he could survive. Didn't know how to swim. Me, of all people, it's not expected that my brother and I know how to swim, but yet swimming paid for college for me. Swimming helped me get started in life. So I became a great swimmer. I swim to this day. Still have times that rival some people. So, it wasn't in my generational pool to swim, but I would have never known that I could swim if I just listened to yesterday's story. But my parents said, you never know what you can do until you try. Number three, we need to be stimulated to a renewed zeal in the use of the divine gifts, and that's why I'm here. I'm here to stir you up. I'm here to put you in remembrance of those dreams, those hopes, and those desires, those things that you thought about doing but didn't do because somebody talked you out of it. Someone told you, we don't do that. Someone told you, you ain't nobody in your family did that. See, we had Heather Lindsay up here, and I was amazed to hear her story. She was one of 24 children because her parents adopted 24 children. And she said, in my house, because they were foster parents, there was a rotation of about 50 kids on a regular basis. She's first-generation preacher. She says there's no way she should be living the way she's living right now, given yesterday's story. But here she is. And then she, we all find ourselves having to re-stimulate ourselves, be reminded of who we are, be reminded of what we started out, be reminded of finishing that task, be reminded of walking towards that goal, hence vision. Hence vision. See, Paul is reminding Timothy to stir up that gift so that he won't be tempted to be remiss. Paul recognizes the existence of the gift, the gift of faith and grace, of which Timothy gave evidence to at his ordination. The best of men need to keep reminding themselves of their past blessings and to exert the power that they already possess. So things that you should know. Some things you should know. No man possesses every gift, but no man is left without a gift. And we should use those gifts to honor God always. Listen, the owner of waste management was a garbage man who was cut from his job. I don't care what you do for a living. And here he is, a multi, multi-millionaire. With, uh, after mortgaging parents-in-laws mortgaging their house to give him an old garbage truck so that he can go pick up garbage out in rural areas. A garbage man who's now the owner of a multi-million dollar industry. And not only that, but stimulated competition. I don't care what you do. Neurosurgeon, friend of ours, Avery Jackson. Young black man, University of Michigan, partnering up with a Caroline Leaf wasn't expecting to be a speaker across the nation, but here he has spent two weeks on Kenneth Copeland's show talking about neuroscience. No one expected that. So wherever you are and whatever you do, if you clean house real good, guess what? You could be the, oh, forget Molly Mays. God can use your gift because it is a gift that's necessary in the body of Christ. Amen. 
So what does all this mean? Well, let's skip down to all this. So with this, we have power, we have love, and then we have a sound mind. Those are divinely inspired gifts. And within those gifts, we have individual gifts, callings. And just as Timothy was walking out his calling, so are we to walk out our calling, our gift, our purpose. Linked Up Church has these next step classes for a reason. So that you can understand what it is to be connected to God. Understand what it is to be connected to family. Understand what it is to know your purpose. Understand what it is to now serve and operate in that purpose. Because if you could serve in that purpose, if you could lead a dream, a small group in that purpose, then guess what? That's just your boot camp to do it out there. It amazes me. Even when folks aren't acting right, when they're serving, when they're givers and when they're serving, there's an abundance of grace on their lives. I, I just happened to notice as I sat down and assessed the people around me, even when things mess up, there's an abundance of gr grace and peace in their lives. So now, Jesus made sure that we were sort of sealed in these gifts. And in that, Jesus wanted to, you know, he, 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 he wouldn't have us, just like I said earlier, give us these gifts, put his, put his body through spitting on, a crown of thorns, through lashing and whipping and beating the cat of nine tails. He wouldn't have put his body through all that. He wouldn't have died and been in hell for three days, redeeming us from our sin and our deserved punishment. And then he wouldn't have fought and rose on high on the third day. He definitely wouldn't have stuck around for another 40 days to prove that his resurrection and spent time with the very same people that put him down. What? He wouldn't have gone through all that to not have expected us to walk in the gift that he sacrificed himself for. Wouldn't that be awful? How would you feel if you saved a lot of money? Men, you love her. She's beautiful. You can't see yourself without her. You save for two or three years to buy her a beautiful engagement ring as close to what she desires. And she, 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 it's that night, and you've planned everything. You get on your knee and say, will you marry me? And she looks and says, ugh, that's all you got. But we do that to God every time we fail to walk in our gift. How many of you want to stand before the throne and, say, and hear God say, well done, thy good and faithful servant? Amen. See, know and understand that you are not going to be judged on your sin. Because if you're under the blood of Jesus, he can't see it. As long as your heart is to please him, he's not taking count of your sin. But he is taking count of your faith walk. That's what you will be judged by. He will judge you based on what you did with the promises of his beloved son. He's going to judge you based on what did you do with his broken body and his shed blood. He's going to judge you on what did you do on the preservation of his word. What did you do with the martyrs that died on your behalf so that you can walk in the promises? What did you do with the gospel of Jesus Christ that was preserved for your deliverance and your freedom and your healing? What did you do with it? There was two times in the Bible that Jesus marveled. Two times in the Bible that Jesus marveled. You know, I went to a conference. I heard the lady talk about it. I was like, I got to look that up and, and research that to make sure that's accurate. I don't care how anointed you are. I do check. And sure enough, I was like, well, I'm taking that. And I dove in a little bit more. Two times in the Bible that Jesus marveled. Turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Spent a lot of time talking about that divine gift of love and of power and of a sound mind. 
it is in operation at in you. It was breathed into you. It was renewed in you as salvation. And it's stirring up and it's a flame in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. But I'm here on assignment to stir it up. Yes, I'm poking you right now. I'm, I'm digging in you right now. I'm tapping your shoulder right now. I'm stirring up the gift within you so that those embers can start flying again and you can renew in your zeal to go out and be the light that he called you to be. To walk in the fullness of who he called you to be. To not be ashamed of the gifts and the power of his name. Luke chapter 7, verse 9 in the King James, it says, When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. See, the situation is this. Jesus had just, uh, is, 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 is in the city, in the villages, and he's preaching. And this centurion over here, he has a sick servant. And he's a soldier. He's a Gentile. See, Gentiles had nothing to do with Jews, and Jews had nothing to do with Gentiles, especially in Capernaum. There was, a, I mean, it was like, if you're from Detroit, it was like eight miles, like for real. It was, a, it was a line of demarcation. And so, but this here centurion was, had been good to the Jewish people. And so now his, one of his favorite servants is sick. So he says, hey, hey, Jewish elders, Jewish elders, I need you to, I heard Jesus is in town, and I heard about his mighty works. I need you to go and find him and tell him to, to, to I need him to heal my servant, please. And the, gent the Jews say, okay, this man has been good to us. He helped us build the synagogue. He's looked out for us. We're going to do it. Who, we're going to do it. So they find Jesus, and they say, Jesus, Jesus, the centurion. Yes, he's a Gentile, but he's been good to us. He's helped us build synagogues. He's not prevented us from our teachings. And right now his servant lays sick, and he asks that you heal his servant. Who are you petitioning Jesus for that may not look like you, may not act like you, may not be like you? Who are you petitioning Jesus for? Better yet, I wonder who petitioned Jesus on your behalf, because someone did. And now, here we go. Jesus says, okay, dude, let's go. Let's go. And then they get, he gets word, the centurion gets word, and it's like, wait a minute, wait, wait, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Dude, uh, you, servant one, servant two, you go out and you see this Jesus that's on his way. I heard he's on his way to the house. He don't have to come to the house. I understand. I don't want to bring stigma to him. So I understand. So I, I, I honor him, and I understand authority. So just sit, go to him and tell him this. Tell him, Jesus, I understand your power. I understand your love. So therefore, because I'm a man of authority, I say go, they go. I say come, they come. I understand who you are, and I honor you too much to subject you to the stigma that you may experience coming into my house. So just send the word only, and my servant will be healed. That's when Jesus says, well, hold up, hold up, hold up. So he's not looking for the fanfare. He's not looking for the crowd. He's not looking for the likes. He's not looking for the, uh, the, 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 the uh, uh, what, what is that, when you're trending? He's not looking for all that. He just want me to send the word. No one but him and his servant will know that I sent the word except you. And he, he won't, he'll lose out on the fanfare that comes with that. And Jesus says, no, I haven't seen such greater faith. No, not in all Israel. He qualified that. 
This is a centurion, a non-Israelite. He says, I, I've been in Israel all this time. Not even my own people have exercised this kind of faith. Is somebody out there saying that about you? Is there somebody out there saying that about you? Because this is a Gentile, a historically non-believer. And Jesus says, I haven't seen this great of faith. No, not in Israel. He says, this non-qualified dude has exercised greater faith than even you all. Now, that's the first time that Jesus marveled. But then there's a second time. Polar. Turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 as I wrap this up. Mark chapter 6, in verse 6, it says, And he marveled, Jesus marveled, because of their unbelief. And he went around the villages teaching. And it says there later on that he could only wrought a few miracles and a few healings. See, what happened in this situation here is, is very polar to what we just talked about. See, in Mark chapter 5, if we backed up a little bit, God's working so many, Jesus is working so many miracles, so many signs and wonders are going on, people stealing miracles from him. You know, the woman with the issue of blood, she crept up on, on the scene and said, I'm taking mine. <laughs> and simultaneously now, this is, the, this is the irony of it all. She says, nothing's stopping me. I'm taking mine. She's on her hands and knees, and she's crawling, and she says, if I, if I only but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. If I only touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. But then at the same time, mind you, Jesus is already, already walking with Jairus. He's already walking with Jairus because Jairus is like, come to my house quick. Not like the centurion. Come to my house quick for my daughter. She's sick, and she's nigh unto death. Jesus is like, okay, come on, let's go. While they're going, the woman with the issue of blood comes and she steals her miracle. And he stops for a moment and says, who did this? Who took virtue from me? And while he's entertaining this situation, a servant comes up and says, Master, don't bother this Jesus anymore because your daughter is dead. And in that instant, he's expecting, but in that instant, while Jesus is recognizing the person that stole a miracle, the one that was being given a miracle, Jesus had to turn around and say, oh, wait, do not fear, but just believe. Jesus is about to give him a miracle. She stole her miracle. He already dipping into fear. She's like, hey, I'm good. So you got these two simultaneous things, and all the while, miracle signs and wonders are happening. So now we're in Mark chapter 6, and he travels on to his city, his home city, and, you know, and he's, he's there, and he preaches the gospel. In fact, back up with me in Mark chapter 6, and let's read how this story begins. Mark chapter 6. He says in verse 2, And on the Sabbath was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him, him, hearing him was astonished. They were like, oh, man, that's some good stuff. Oh, man, hallelujah. Teach, yes. Don't preach me down because I'm preaching good now. All this is going on. And it says, And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence has this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Oh, my gosh, who is this dude that all these miracle signs and wonders are happening? My word, what's going on? Oh, my gosh, he is a miracle from God. And they're like, wait, hold up. Hold up. There ain't nobody but Gwen. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold up, what? There ain't no, that's just Deanna. Ain't nobody. She just sings. Huh? Oh, ain't nobody but Clayton. We all know Clayton. 
They said, oh, that's just the carpenter boy, isn't that? Isn't that just Mary's son, the carpenter? Psh, he ain't nobody. They just got through before they recognized him. They just said that they were astonished. They were asking him, so they were perplexed, like, wow, who is this dude? Then they recognized him, and they were like, oh. And then instantly, he could rot. It says he could rot. Now, he did rot. He could rot no good works there. He couldn't do it because they operated in the spirit of fear, fear being familiarity, fear being pride, fear being, yeah, yeah, exactly. It was, they were offended at him. Like, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Code name, pride. So which side of marveled are you going to be on? There's a marveled that Jesus did with great faith, and there's a marveled that Jesus did of no faith. That word marveled there meant perplexed. It meant an, explana an explanation. What side of marveled Jesus marveling will you be on? Will you be on that side of well done thy good and faithful servant? Or will you be on that side of take him away? Again, Jesus is looking. God says, I'm looking. I search of the earth to and fro, seeking out whom I may show myself strong for. All he wants you to do is shine, believe a little bit, operate in the spirit of power and of love and of sound mind. Because see, fear feeds doubt. Doubt feeds fear. Fear feeds doubt. Doubt feeds fear. Fear feeds doubt. Doubt feeds fear. Bam, sin. Bam, condemnation. Bam, guilt. Bam, shame. Bam, destruction and death. What side of being Jesus being marveled will you find yourself? The broken body, the shed blood, the resurrection and the ascension. Where will he see you tomorrow? Because now you're held accountable for what you hear. What will you do today that will propel you to be God's best tomorrow? Amen. 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 Did you all get something from that? God has empowered you with divine gifts. Do not be that person driving on 75 in a Ferrari where 70 miles per hour and you're driving 55. That engine will lock up on you and you would have wasted the power that was, that, that, that was vested. Don't be that person that takes the gift and hides it under the bed. Don't be that person that misuses the gift that you have, seeking after the accolades of man. Or simple manna called money. God is so much bigger. He's so much greater. And he empowered you. The stuff that's here is simple. But he empowered you for greatness beyond your own life. But in eternity, amen. So, where everybody is searching their heart right now, 